You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Don't be all else to me, save that thou... Will you join me now for a word of prayer? Gracious, good, and holy God, you have made yourself manifest to us in the incarnation of your Son and in the baptism, at his baptism, through the full revelation of the Trinity. Bless us, O Lord, as we come to your sacred scriptures, that the eyes of our hearts may be opened and we might be drawn and enlightened by the power of your Holy Spirit to have a right understanding of the mysteries of salvation, that we may be ever more obedient and faithful disciples of him in whose name we pray. Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, 2021 will mark my 25th year in the ministry of Christ Church. In 1996, God, who has a great sense of humor, um, took me from, well, I started undergraduate as an atheist, left undergraduate believing in God generically, came to faith in Christ as I entered into our our marriage and um, made my full commitment in October of 1995, and by May of 1996, I was on staff at a church, because God has a sense of humor. (laughs) And... um, I've heard in those 25 years that uh, people, I've heard many people say over the years, you know, Pastor, I get more out of your children's sermons than I get out of your regular ones. (laughs) Um, I think it's important to say that that's probably true in reverse. I think I learn more about the questions that people have from the questions the children ask me than I often do from the children, the questions the adults ask me because adults, we all get embarrassed about things and we're like, oh, I don't want to ask that question. You could think I wasn't paying attention in confirmation 35 years ago. <laughs> so um, I'll never forget as I entered into my first ministry, Megan Gerlinger. Um, God bless her. I'm sure my wife is smiling as she hears that name. Um, she was a feisty redhead in my seventh grade class who would ask me every question I had no idea how to answer. It was a weekly occurrence. And uh, she made me hit the books harder and faster than at any other time in my life and had more conversations with every pastor I could call on. Well, uh, and who knows, like with the, the bots that operate in this virtual world, since this is being streamed, maybe her name will get picked up and she'll get a ping on Facebook that I'm talking about her. So. <laughs> um, I'll never forget at Confirmation Camp one year. We were sitting around talking. We were just talking about who Jesus was. And she says, you know, we act like Jesus was so great. And I thought, oh, here it comes. <laughs> she says, if he was so great, why did he have to get baptized just like the rest of us? And I've always remembered that question because I think it, it highlights a common misconception that we have. 
I think maybe I had it when I first started reading the Bible. When we say that Jesus was baptized just like we are, we're missing the point. Um, because Jesus was not baptized just like us. But he was baptized for us. Let me break this down a little bit as, as we get into this. Um, if we want to know for sure that we're, Jesus isn't baptized like us, we need merely listen to the scriptures today. John is very clear that his baptism is not like the baptism of the one who is to come. He will baptize you. He who is sandals I am not worthy to untie will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Or in the Gospel of Matthew, which is Matthew and Luke both are a little more full and complete. They fill in details that are left out in Mark. With the Holy Spirit and with fire. Well, this is something for us to think about as we consider this mystery of Jesus entering the waters on our behalf. I'm going to read to you that more complete text from Matthew just so you can get a sense of what we're looking at. And I would, have, I would have waited till the year of Matthew, but I never get Matthew paired up with Romans except this way. So this is how we're going to do it. Um, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And then just like in the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus lifts himself from the water, we see the, the fullness of the Trinity revealed for us for the first time in Scripture. The Son stands in the water, the voice of the Father comes from heaven, and the Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove on Jesus. Which is also why the other name for this day is Theophany, when God is man made manifest. So Jesus is very clear that He must be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. What does this mysterious language mean? Well, it means, at the very least, that to fulfill all righteousness means to fulfill all of God's plan for creating a righteous people and for saving us from our sins. And here we must remember Paul's line from 2 Corinthians when he says, He was made to be sin who knew no sin. Megan, God bless her, when she asked me that question, I'm sure was not familiar with the book of Hebrews, but Hebrews 4.15 says, We have a high priest who is like us in every way but sin. So this baptism that John was doing was a baptism of repentance. Okay, and what that meant was, he was out there preaching that people should stop doing what they were doing because he was living in an apostate Israel. Soldiers were leaning on people and doing awful things to them. Tax collectors were collecting more than they were due and skimming off the top. The religious leaders were in it for themselves too and were more concerned with the business of who got more honor in the places of, of, of worship and who, how the money was flowing than they were with preaching faithfully and truthfully and recalling the people to faithfulness. And so John is out there saying, stop doing it, stop doing that, stop doing that. And don't presume to lean on your heritage as a child of Abraham. The word repent, metanoia in the Greek, literally means to turn around. 
And John is telling him, stop facing your sin and turn around and face God again. Come back. And once you made a commitment to do that, your baptism was the public sign of, what, of that commitment. John's baptism was an external sign of an essentially inward change. The change to return to faithfulness. So why would Jesus enter those waters? Well, because, because He was going to be dying for our sins. All of the sins we didn't repent of, all the sins we did repent of, every sin He would become on the cross that He might become the righteousness of God. We can get clued into this by some of the hymnody of the church. This isn't scripture, but it does tell us something about the way the early church heard these words of scripture. This is all in translation, so it doesn't rhyme nice. But these are ancient hymns. In the midst of those seeking baptism, amongst all that crowd listening to John, says, You stood, a man in essence, but not in imagination, the only sinless one by nature, for you came to bury mankind's punishment in the baptismal waters. Another ancient hymn. Delivered from bitter bondage, Israel crossed over the waters as if on dry land. And seeing the enemy drowning, they sang a song in gladness to God. Christ now buries our sins in the waters. Jesus Christ comes forth to drown the rivers of sin in the streams of Jordan. Beautiful poetry tying together what we hear in Scripture today with the Exodus story. This is how the early Christians heard this story. The very people who affirmed the New Testament for us saw Jesus entering the waters on our behalf, being baptized not like us, but for us. Because we are baptized by Christ Himself. By God Himself. Christ baptizes with the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is why St. Paul gets so upset when people are going, I was baptized by Apollos and I was baptized by Paul. Because it doesn't matter who says the words at baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What matters is that it is done according to the command of Christ using Christ's own words. Now, it's, it's Old Testament theology that says that wherever the Word of God is, God Himself is. God's Word is inseparable from Himself, as we'll hear again in John's Gospel next week. When we stand at the font or at the riverside and we say the words that Christ has commanded us, adding God's Word to the water, it is God who baptizes, not the person standing there. And so the outward becomes the inward. An external manifestation of God's sovereign grace and election has come to this person. And that brings about an inward change because with Christ's baptism comes the gift of the Holy Spirit and the fire of faith. Christ Himself is active in our midst when we, in accordance with His command, baptize. 
And the inward thing that is wrought is not merely repentance. It is union with Christ himself. And we hear this from the book of Romans today. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. What act of a human being can unite them with God? Nothing. There is no act of external righteousness or internal faith whereby I can connect myself by my own efforts with God or else salvation would be by works. God himself is acting through the ministers of his church, which is his body. Because no one baptizes themselves. Everyone is baptized. And when God's word is present, he makes his spirit present in all the promises of baptism. He connects us with Christ at the very moment that death loses its power over Christ. So that we might, as the passage goes on, live in newness of life. Walk in newness of life. This is no guarantee of salvation because we can throw away the gift we've been given. But it is a guarantee that God is forever on our side. And that is a precious, precious gift that God has, in His sovereignty, elected to touch our lives through His church, through His obedient ministers through his word that we might have the indwelling power of his spirit to draw us ever back to him. What this means is that there is no sin so grave that we are beyond the reach of God's grace. There's no apostasy whereby we cannot repent and hear again the voice of the spirit or just follow the spirit's leading all the way back to Jesus. There's no dryness and dustiness in my spiritual life that means Christ is not present with me because He has promised to be present even to the end of the age. I can grieve mightily the Spirit within me. But I cannot force Him out. In this way, baptism, when it says that baptism now saves us, as it does in Second Peter, baptism's like an acorn that's planted. It's not the fullness of the tree of salvation, but it bears a genetic resemblance to it. <laughs> and if you let it grow naturally, it will grow into what it is supposed to be, a mighty oak of faith. We are blessed to be touched by God, and this has been a really doctrinal, really biblical sermon, and I, did, I could do like a bunch of sermons on baptism, but I'm not going to do that today. We're just touching on this Romans text. But if we are united with Christ in a death like His, we will surely be raised in a resurrection like His. And that is a precious, precious hope to hold on to when the world seems dark. Pastors are supposed to find a really tear-jerking story to kind of nail the sermon in place, something you can go home remembering the story when you forget all the other stuff I've said. Um, I don't have a great one of those for today um, because it is such a doctrinal sermon, but I can share with you what this hope can mean in the life of one person. 
Martin Luther, when he did what he did, standing up to the religious powers that be in the 1500s, we can't imagine what that meant in this day and age when we can choose whatever faith we want and, or no faith at all and can get on the internet and turn our camera on and make a big long video about why we have or don't have faith. And we can't imagine what it is like to defy religious authorities in a world controlled by those religious authorities. He lived most of his life, adult life under a death threat. But worse than the death threat was the internal conflict he felt, just full of terror that this Augustinian monk who wanted not to break the church but to fix the church had broken the church. <laughs> and in terror he would live that Break, waking up with cold sweats in the middle of the night, hearing the voice of the accuser say, you did this, it's your fault. And not only are other people going to hell, but you are too. And when he would deal with that voice in his head, he would say, not, he didn't lean on his own righteousness, he didn't say, well, I'm doing the best I can and I'm doing what I think is right and I'll be acquitted because I'm doing what I think is right. He wasn't that stupid. <laughs> he didn't even look to his own personal experience in the upper room when he was reading Hosea and came to the rea realization that the righteous shall live by faith. As powerful as that personal experience was, he didn't turn to that in his own defense. Because, as the internet will prove to you today, if you go home and and uh, search for faith deconstruction. You're going to find lots and lots of people who once upon a time walked the sawdust trail and committed their lives to Christ who no longer have faith. Because you can always doubt an internal experience. You can say, I was pressured into it. I was caught up in the moment. I was whatever, whatever, whatever. He instead turned to his baptism. And he said, I'm baptized. I'm baptized. I'm baptized. This is what gave him the courage to live a life of faith in the face of religious authorities who told him he was going to hell. For he knew, because he was baptized, even if he was making mistakes, and he did make some, quite a few, he knew that God was for him in Jesus Christ. And so he could trust God in Jesus Christ with the whole of his life. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Lord Jesus, it is a great mystery we ponder when we ponder the mighty acts of salvation, when we ponder the words of your scriptures and so many times those words divide Christians rather than uniting us. Help us, O oh Lord, to peer into the mystery of God made flesh and to take on your humility for in entering the waters of baptism you were so humble as to take upon yourself all of our sins. You took up your commission, O Lord, and immediately went out to spar with the devil. Help us, Lord, to lean back into our own baptisms, to know that in Christ you are completely for us as we seek a greater obedience in our lives, as we seek 
better understanding amongst ourselves as Christians, and especially in the light of a world now that has less and less place for us and more and more intolerance for us. Help us unite to one another even around our differences. And may our mutual witness strengthen one another and bless us. This we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen. Sleeping, that presence, my life.